Hey guys, Ian here with another episode of Unleash and Unhinged, the podcast where we talk about all things dog. Dog training, dog behaviour, dog health, literally anything you can think about when it comes to dogs, we'll talk about on here. We hope you enjoy the episode. and welcome back to another episode of Unleashed and Unhinged. Today we've got Vanessa from Sit Pretty Behavior and Training all the way from British Columbia, Columbia Canada. Welcome to the show, mate. Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Why don't we start off, just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your line of work and what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, absolutely. So I am the founder and owner of Sit Pretty Behavior and Training. As you mentioned, I'm in Northern British Columbia and I'm a multi-certified force-free dog trainer. I've been dog training for almost 10 years now and have recently specialized in reactivity, fear, and aggression. Um, and today we're going to be talking about reactivity, which is one of my absolute favorite topics to talk about um, because I share my home with the reactivity reactive dog and uh it's reactive dogs are some of my favorite ones to to work with that's awesome i mean i think a lot of trainers i don't know if this is your the case for you but a lot of people get into uh working with the type of training that they enjoy due to the circumstances they're originally in um, absolutely <laughs> yeah and having a reactive dog at home i'm sure like you said you can relate to the people going through, uh, going through this. So what what sort of things do you, I mean, first of all, actually let's, let's start off. Let's start off with just what is reactivity? Yeah. So I'm not a huge fan of the label reactivity. I find it to be a bit of a misnomer um, because I, I think in order to be, to survive in our environment, we have to be reactive to things around us. Um, so when I when I say reactivity in dogs, I'm really talking about dogs who are overreacting. So reacting to stimuli or the environment in a way that we would consider over the top or too too much. So that's going to look like your typical barking, lunging, growling, um, you know, the theatrics that we might see uh, while we're out on walks. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about reactivity. And I think that using the label reactivity, as much as I dislike it, just keeps it simple for people because that's what we think of when we hear the words reactive dog, is we think of that noisy dog that's causing a scene, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm with you on the labels thing. Like I appreciate that. Um, like no dog is no dog's reactive hundred percent of the time. And that, that label itself, like that, that reaction is completely appropriate to the individual. Um, so I don't love using it, but at the same time, it does help create a little bit of a, at least a building block, a framework for people to understand what it is we're talking about in the first place. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, like everybody's everybody that calls us with their reactive dogs, they're they're going through something, and so are the so are the dogs. And mm -hmm. I mean, from your experience, from the human element, like what sort of I mean, we see it all the time. But what sort of things do you see people going through when they've got a reactive dog? reactive dog. Oh boy. I mean, I, I always think back to my experience when my dog developed reactivity around, he was around 18 months old. And I think that most of us, most of us reactive dog guardians, you know, when we're, re especially when we're at the point where we're reaching out for assistance is we're dealing with so many different emotions about the problem we're facing here. Um, and some of the ones that really jump out at me is confusion. So why is this happening? Why is my dog behaving like this? What, what is the meaning behind this? Where did this come from? Uh, we're frustrated because we're not really sure what to do or what we've been doing is not working or the behavior is not going away. 
uh, embarrassed. We're embarrassed about what our dog is doing and how the public is perceiving that behavior. Um, I think that when our dog reacts in that way, um, dare I say aggressively, you know, when we see teeth and we hear noise and growling, it can be really scary for us too, because we, we often jump to the, the worst case scenario. What if my dog were to, to bite somebody or, or to escalate their behavior further? What, what could happen? Um, so I think that most reactive dog guardians, when they're reaching out for help, they're just dealing with this this mishmash of emotions and conflict and and we're just i mean we're overwhelmed we don't even know where to start we don't even know you know we don't even know what what to do first with these dogs yeah yeah couldn't agree more like we are it it's it's such an it can impact the person emotionally so much absolutely and then what we start to see i don't know about you but we start to see um emotional reactions Mm-hmm. in response to the reactivity i think yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah we become reactive um we yeah. we become reactive almost to our dog's triggers or our dog's reactive reactions to triggers um and yeah you're right it, it does nobody any favors but i mean at the end of the day we're human so of course yeah. we're gonna have emotions and we're gonna be reacting to the situation um but oftentimes our reactions are not helping the dog um despite maybe our best interests our reactions are not serving the dog any purpose in that moment um and that's i think where we're, we just feel we're so frustrated with what do i do what what's the answer here to yeah. this problem and where and so as a professional theo what what's one of the first things that you might do like first couple of things you might do with somebody that's you know just we literally said off air, we're not going to go through step one and step two, didn't we? But, <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, I think this is slightly, slightly different. But what might yes. be a couple of first things that you might talk to the client about? Yeah. So when I have a reactive dog guardian approach me about their dog's behavior, um, one of the first things that I try to do with this client is figure out why this reactivity is happening. So all of our, our, all of our dog's behavior happens for a reason. Our dogs behave in the way they're behaving for a very specific reason. And in order for us to modify behavior or, or change behavior, we need to understand why that behavior is happening in the first place. And reactivity is not Cut and, a cut and dry, dry behavior problem. It's, it's, it can happen for so many different reasons. It can look the exact same, but the, the underlying cause for the reactivity is something we need to identify because it's going to change how we then build that training plan for that dog or address that dog's management. Um, you know, is this dog reacting because it's scared? Is this dog reacting because it's quote unquote aggressive? Is this dog reacting because it's excited? Is it reacting because it's frustrated? And each of those underlying emotions or, or reasons is going to change how we address that dog. So trying to figure out, you know, why is the dog behaving this way? What is this dog trying to accomplish with this behavior is one of the first things we want to do. And then I really, before we dive into any training, any step-by-step plans, any of that stuff, I want to get management going. So every time our dogs are reacting or or creating a scene uh, like this, you know, barking, lunging and growling, they're experiencing some degree of stress. Um, And the more they rehearse that behavior, the more sort of reflexive it becomes or more the better they get at it essentially um, which is of course behavior we don't really want them to perfect so I want to try and manage those reactive episodes so that they're not happening as frequently or as intensely or for as long so that the dog can get a little bit of relief the owner can get a little bit of relief and then we can start to come in with our behavior modification plan yeah yeah and for anybody listening in like we talk about, I think it's a really common phrase in our line of work to talk about management. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the average dog owner, what might management, what is management? Like, what could that look like? Yeah. So I, when I talk about management, I'm talking about reduction of the problem behaviors. So how do we make, how do we adjust things so that the problem behaviors are happening less frequently. And I always say less frequently because we're not going to make the react, the problem behaviors 
stop completely. I think that's highly unrealistic and that's just setting everyone up for failure. So we're trying to reduce it as much as we can. Um, so that's going to look like, uh, you know, if let's say my dog is reactive to other dogs, that's what's prompting this reactive behavior. How can I adjust my dog's environment so that they're not being exposed to other dogs in a way that's prompting these reactive outbursts? Um, if these reactions are happening out on walks, like is the case with my dog, maybe I'm walking at a different time of day. Maybe I'm walking in a different location. Um, maybe I'm, you know, some, I often hop in the car and drive my dog outside of our neighborhoods so that we avoid uh, triggers or dogs that are triggering this reactive behavior. Um, maybe I'm changing the type of exercise I'm doing, you know, what can I do to reduce his exposure to these other dogs so that he is not practicing these problem behaviors as often as he currently is. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. I love that. I love it because it's just self-reinforcing for me because it's exactly what I would do. Which is oh, perfect. <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, and you mentioned, you mentioned a couple of times as well, um, we don't want the dog practicing the behavior. You know, my, my understanding of this is essentially like we get good at what we practice. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, it is, uh, and as you've said already, like the behavior that the dog is doing, they're doing it for a reason. So yeah. for whatever reason they're doing it, they're finding that behavior rewarding and reinforcing. Yeah. So that Absolutely. Every time they travel down that path and they practice it, they, they get they learn, okay, this is how we deal with this situation, yep. which is only going to make our problem worse and harder yep. to overcome in the long run, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, especially, I mean, when you think of a dog who's fearful, um, so let's say they're fearful of people and every time they see a person, they bark at them um, relentlessly and then the person backs off essentially that dog's barking, that reactive behavior has just been reinforced. And, and as the science tells us, behavior that's reinforced is going to increase in frequency. So the dog goes, got it. This is what I got to do to get the space I need from these super scary strangers. And, and that just strengthens that behavior. And it just makes it our job so much harder when we come in to try and modify that, that behavior or address that underlying fear it just makes our job so much harder when that behavior has a really strong reinforcement history. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and every plan is slightly different. You know, you might get, mm -hmm. I mean, for a couple of reasons, as you, as you touched on, I'll dive into this in a second, but one of them is the actual motive of the behavior, like a training plan for fear reactivity is going to look so different to a training plan for excitement or frustration. Um, but also when we're gathering that information from the client, like one of the key questions is how long has the dog been doing this? Mm -hmm. The dog that's been suddenly, so I had a sudden behavior change. Well, that you know, I'm going to look at before even looking at training. I might look at pain or yeah. other other sudden other big changes in the life that might have happened in the last yeah. recent while. Whereas Absolutely. I've got a dog that's been practicing for a year, six years. Um, then that's going to be really ingrained, and mm -hmm. the, the training there's going to be a ton of management there, and the, yeah. that that in itself can bring probably lifestyle changes to the to the guardian that they didn't see coming and that yeah. can take adjustment that can take time. Oh, yeah. um these are all things that because we can't necessarily in that situation in particular it's very rare in my my experience if i've got a dog that's been practicing the behavior for a considerable amount of time to be or even to be honest any amount of time I can't, it's very rare that I can just put the dog in the same situation and expect a different behavior. <laughs> there has to be some element of shift from yeah. the guardian does in order to influence change on the dog. And absolutely. How many times have you heard over the years? I think you're training me more than the dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. I think you're right. I think that there's, some management, you know, we talk about management initially, and then we talk about, you know, diving into behavior modification or the actual training plan. But there are some lifestyle changes that are not just short term. There's something that we're probably going to extend long term. Uh, my dog genuinely does not want to be interacted with or greeted by other dogs. So we 
don't allow those situations to unfold for him. And that's something that we will not stop doing because he generally just doesn't want to be in those situations and to expect in, to expect him to be comfortable in those situations just is not realistic and it's not fair to him. So that's a lifestyle change that we have adapted and my dog's now 12. So we've been utilizing it for, for 11 years, uh, you know, 10, 11 years now. And that, and that, you're like you said that lifestyle change is something I did not expect to have to do with my dog, um, and and sometimes those lifestyle adjustments can be really really difficult for the guardians to kind of wrap their head around. You know, we have this this uh, picture in our head of what our dog is going to look like and all these things we're going to do with them and and all this wonderful adventures we're going to go on. And when we have to adjust that picture, it's it's hard. It's hard to come to terms with that. Um, and I think that as dog trainers that's a huge part of our our role at working with reactive dog guardians is helping them work through those lifestyle changes and come to terms with them and maybe grieve uh the law the loss if you will of the dog they thought they had or wanted or 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 what have you yeah and and that could be i've seen it on every end of the scale where you know somebody has recently only brought the dog into their life and that dog just isn't fitting into the lifestyle. They thought that they were going to live with the dog, um, which is tough. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not saying that it's less or more tough, but just, just as difficult is when we see uh, somebody being able to do something with their dog and then that gets taken away Um, in both scenarios, essentially it has been, taken away from from the guardian in their head it existed even if they hadn't practiced it yeah and that like you said that that i think we have to afford them an opportunity to grieve like it's uh you know we don't i don't leash walk one of my dogs and nor does emma anymore my wife um and but that was one of the things that she really enjoyed Mm -hmm. We can let him off leash. He loves being off leash. He's dog social that way. He's always been people social in every every aspect. He likes children. But on leash, he is he's reactive. He mm-hmm. is frustrated. And that was something that Emma and him used to enjoy together. There was a really traumatic incident that he's really struggled to recover from. Mm-hmm. we tried to put him in situations you know work work towards rebuilding that um and we can sometimes but the the oh you know all the stars have to align and yes yes <laughs> um and then it's successful but outside of those parameters we don't leash walk him anymore he gets he gets off leash often and regularly and his, we found alternative ways to meet exactly uh, his needs. We also had to find alternative ways to meet her needs. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. What, what does enjoyment time for them look like? Cause she does, she doesn't like taking him off leash. Yep. She, she finds it. Oh, he's, he's t- too unpredictable. She can't predict the right. environment. She finds, she gets, she finds it anxious. Yeah. And gets in this situation so that isn't so even though the dog loves that and me and him can go and enjoy that they've replaced that with simply just having cuddles so totally in my house yeah like in, in my in my house now there's a few things that i look at and go i probably wouldn't actually enjoy that and it sometimes actually if i'm being really honest it annoys me that that happens but hell like that's their relationship and mm-hmm. i really shouldn't be trying to police their relationship that they're they've Absolutely. got the best relationship um and it's exactly. amazing to see so yeah there's and yeah like i didn't ever miss leash, leash walking him but because i never he came into my life after the incident so it's never something that i i've never had to grieve it but i can't have had to go th- even though i never lost that i still then had to put some of my own differences aside and go yep that's there's a lot of compromise. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that in your situation, especially, you know, appreciating that could we work through the on-leash reactivity? Maybe, yeah, you know, if we get all of our ducks in a row. But 
I think we have to ask ourselves, you know, who is this for? Yeah. Is this for, is this for the dog? Is this in the dog's best interest? Is this for me or is this for Emma? And a lot of the times, you know, my, my clients will come to me and say, you know, I really want to take my dog to the dog park. Um, and we have to have a really frank conversation about, does your dog want to go to the dog park? And, and how do we know that? And is that in your dog's best interest? And I think that it's really it can be really difficult for us to put ourselves in our dog's shoes, so to speak, to, to realize that, yeah, my dog actually is incredibly stressed in this environment. They're not thriving from it. You know, they're not, they're not the dog park kind of dog. And I know that I myself went through that. Um, but when I finally was able to just look from my dog's perspective and go, gosh, he really hates being in this environment. What am I doing this for? And we just stopped pushing that we were all so much happier as a result. Um, I always like to think of it as, you know, my dog, let's say, let's call him an introvert. Um, I'm an introvert. So if I were to go out to a big gathering with lots of people and have to socialize with all these new, these new folks, I would find that environment incredibly overwhelming. It would be incredibly draining for me. I would need to recover from that. I would probably be stressed and anxious about it. Um, and I like to think of my dog as is the dog equivalent of an introvert and he just doesn't thrive from those situations. Um, and sometimes looking at it from sort of a human analogy can help us go, Oh yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, I, I get that. Right. Um, but it's, it's really difficult when we, you know, the, the public or society tells us dogs need to do these specific things in order to be happy, like go on leash walks, for example. And we have to go, well, actually it's not the case for every single dog in the world. It can look differently. Um, and I think that can take a little bit to, to wrap our heads around sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's, it's, uh, I love the way you frame that as well, because it can be difficult to relate to the, it's, unless you've got that, like, unless you humanize it a little bit. Absolutely. There's a, a really good, I can't remember the way, is it, is it an analogy or a metaphor, but um, it's, I can't remember, there was another trainer that summed it up really well. He's like, some dogs are disco dogs and some dogs are library dogs. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. 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 I like that. It's very clear, clear differences. (laughs) And it doesn't mean that the library dog doesn't like a beer with a few friends, but he maybe doesn't. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Working out the social preferences uh, of the individual in front of you and then accepting them for who they are is really important. It is. Meeting like, this is this is part of the socialization process isn't it like whenever we're working with reactivity we are looking at re-socializing like or social in some aspect we're looking at it and it one of the first steps is in my opinion is like to kind of assess what are the social preferences of this dog about whatever it is reacting to and then with the training plan a management plan. The management plan is usually don't go and interact with it un- unless you're in a position to implement your training plan. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. And then your training plan is, and I think again, you and you and I work in a in a similar line where we're not trying to put the we're not trying to impose that whatever the dog is reacting to. We're not trying to impose it so much that we're not trying to force friends. You know, mm-hmm. we don't want them to have to grin and bear that. That's, totally. And like, we see a lot of like words thrown around, like, oh, they've got to learn to tolerate it or, mm-hmm. you know, no, they'll get used to it. And, but it, it's got to be, it's more nuanced than that, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, again, I think we and you work in a very similar line, but we're trying to, getting used to it can be, like I'm used to moaning about the bins being taken out and waiting. Like that's that's still reactivity. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, it is. Yeah, yeah. For me, getting used to it is not good enough. Like I want nope. to build positive associations. Or absolutely. Least, um, when I'm working with the reactivity, I want to I want to build up some desirable reactions. I'm not aiming for no reaction. No reaction. Mm-hmm. So, like, exactly. Yeah. 
I'm still aiming to train a reaction, but I want to train one that is socially appropriate and fits into my lifestyle and general and the general public's. So yep. I'm assuming you work in a similar vein, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Nonchalance is, you know, or neutrality or whatever we want to go for is, is not always the most realistic expectation. And I think that, you know, when we're thinking about those behavior shifts, so we're trying to shift behavior into something desirable for us and that works for us and the dog. Um, and I, I think that a lot of that behavior change stems from addressing those emotions, right? So we're not going to, you know, it's, it's really difficult for us to get behavior change if we don't address that underlying fear or the frustration of the dog who just really wants to greet all the other dogs and doesn't have enough social outlets that we've failed to address. How do we expect that dog to behave, you know, more casual and um, cool, calm and collected around other dogs when we haven't addressed that frustration. So, and, and I like how you mentioned positive associations. Like I want my dog to feel, to feel good about encountering the trigger in whatever aspect that's going to look like. So when I'm thinking about, you know, my dog who just really doesn't want to be friends with other dogs, um, he, he's still, you know, through our training and our management, when he sees another dog, he's pretty pumped about it because he knows that that means we get to now do the game where he performs the behavior that I've taught him and then he gets rewarded for that behavior. So he's pretty amped when a dog comes up, so long as that dog doesn't get in his little, you know, personal space bubble. Um, and that to me means everything you know the fact that he can encounter something he's not a big fan of he can be happy about that situation and and can trust that i'm going to keep him uh in a place where he's comfortable and not forced to tolerate a dog coming up and sniffing him or whatever it is that he's uncomfortable with or not happy about so yeah yeah i think um you've touched on something there that i'm going to dive into a little bit and this is probably around um you know, just general, without going into that part too much, but like around training methods, like when we're working with the dogs, we're, we're not trying to stop the dog reacting. Mm -hmm. We're trying to teach a new behavior, yeah. which is a really important distinction. Like I'm not trying to go, don't react. That's right. I'm trying to go, hey, man, try this. I know that's over there and you know that's over there, but let's yeah. try and do this instead. Absolutely. And what this looks like can be so different for different dogs. Absolutely. But that's a, yep. that's a fundamental training principle of mine that yep. I'm not going to budge from. <laughs> no, absolutely. No, my, me neither. Um, yes. Tr you know, stopping the idea of, I want to stop the reactivity. Um, I want to make this behavior go away and not happen again. I just, I think that's so, can be so, such a damaging way to look at it for our dogs. Because again, we fail to acknowledge why the dog's behaving that way in the first place. And that still has, that has not changed. You know, we can shut down that behavior, but that underlying emotion is still there. Um, and then we haven't, you know, we got to, we can't just say, don't do this what is the dog supposed to do instead? How are they, they don't know if they knew any differently, they would probably be behaving differently. So it's really up to us to then guide them to say, yeah, you could do it your way, but you could do it my way too. And, and let's show you how to do that. And let's make that worth your while. And let's make that effective and, and make sure that your underlying goals are being met as well. You know, that your space is not being encroached upon or you're getting your social encounters if that's what you're after. Um, but it's not as simple as just make this behavior go away. Um, we have to teach the dog, you know, instead of this, let's try this. Um, and, and I agree. I, that's, that's something I, I, that's non-negotiable for me as well. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And when we're trying to teach the dogs, whatever it is we're trying to teach them, and there's a couple of things to bear in mind, and I'm going to say both of them because they're both big topics and we'll cover both of them in the same one. But for me, first of all, going back to the original thing that you assessed, which is where does that, what's driving this behavior? What emotions behind it? Is it, frustration is it fear is it anxiety is it excitement that's mm -hmm. going to influence and impact uh what it what i'm going to try to use to teach the dog as an alternative because yeah it's got to be motivating and i find you know we can use motivators like we can have ideas like do we use play do we use food do we use interaction mm -hmm. do we use distance 
but which of them we use is dependent on what the dog really wants because it's not absolutely using the wrong one. And then, sorry, and they're going to, I'm going to unpack both of them at the same time because I don't think we can really with that one without the other. It's, we also need to play with the variables that make sure that the dog is in the right frame of mind to be able to play that game in the first place. So yeah. things like distance from the distraction really come into yeah. play. And, and it's very dynamic, isn't it? I think this is something that when we're working with somebody, we, we have to kind of slow it down because if they're anxious or if they're frustrated or angry in that moment and reacting to their dog, they're probably not going to be able to think clearly. Absolutely. To think, what does my dog want and how far away do they need to be? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think that's something that I get a lot of or I hear a lot of is, you know, I tried X, Y, and Z, but as soon as the trigger, the other dog or the person or the, the car, or whatever my dog's upset about is present, my dog won't do it. And we have to think about, you know, setting our learner, the dog up to be successful by, you know, uh, setting up the environment to help create a healthy learning learning environment. And I always like, again, with my human analogies, um, I always like to think about my own kids. You know, if I'm trying to teach them math, let's say trigonometry, because I, I really disliked trigonometry. If I'm trying to teach them trigonometry and I, I walk into Disneyland and I go, okay, kids, we're going to learn about trigonometry. That's really setting my kids up to fail. They're going to be distracted. They're excited. They're overwhelmed. Maybe they're a little bit worried. Um, and they're going to really struggle to grasp that concept, even if we learned it at home already. And, you know, we, we need to adjust the environment or set up the environments that our dog goes, okay, triggers over here. I've got enough space. The intensity is comfortable for me. I'm, I'm able to then learn and work and hear you and respond to, to cues or have these conversations with you in this environment as it is. But what I often see happen is we, we don't make those adjustments. The dog is over threshold or overstimulated or, or is too close to this trigger. And then we get frustrated when the, when the dog doesn't respond, how we, would expect them or want them to respond, but we haven't set up that environment to, to promote success for that dog. And I think that's really, really important. And that's going to look so different for every single dog, which can be really frustrating for guardians because wouldn't it be nice if it all was just black and white, um, but it's not. And, and, and that is crucial to our success when we're working with these dogs is making sure the environment is appropriate for them to be comfortable and confident and able to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've found historically the same, the one, a way to kind of get this across to people is to actually a, a, give people the same dignity because I, the, the, you've got two, we've got two learners in our role. Absolutely. We've got the dog learner, which everybody acknowledges, but then you've got the human learner and they go, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. And the same principles that you just described, they apply to the human learner just as much. And yep. if we find ourselves with a person in front of us that is really struggling to apply uh, mm -hmm. what it is that we're trying to apply, then we've got the same impacts on their sense of arousal, their well-being, their sense of safety, their yeah. adrenaline levels as the dog is going through. Now, sometimes the dog is ready for a situation before the learner is, before the human learner. Yeah. So we just need to strip it back and go, your dog, your dog will get there, but let's concentrate on this. Yeah. And even in the same household, if we've got multiple handlers, yes. I have to say to people, hey, look, I'm going to get you to do different things. And that's great because if I ask you, if I ask one of you to do what the other one is doing, you're going to get really frustrated that this isn't mm -hmm. working. And so we're just going to set different targets. And being mm -hmm. able, I, I find that's a nice way to pe for people to then relate to their dog because they go, well, I want to be treated that way. <laughs> right? As totally. A yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, I think that's a great point. We focus so much on the dog's well-being and the dog's stress levels, but if, if we're not in the frame of mind to access these cues that we're teaching or these behaviors that we're supposed to be doing or reacting the way we've practiced at home, then we're not we're not able to help our dogs, and and our feelings need to be taken into consideration as well. And and 
as we talked about before, you know, we become a little bit reactive to our dog's triggers, anticipating, oh my gosh, here it goes. There's the dog. My dog's going to blow up. Everyone's going to look at me. This is horrible. And we get that adrenaline pumping um, and, you know, that parasympathetic nervous system kicks in and we just can't access, you know, I know what to do in this situation. I just can't think to do it. And, and we can freeze up. Um, I have a lot of my clients say, you know, I knew I was supposed to do this, but I just froze. Um, and we need to make sure that our human learners are set up to be in a situation where they're comfortable and confident and able to perform the skills that we're asking of them. Um, and, and you're right. Sometimes we have a mismatch where the dog is ready for more and the human is not or vice versa. And we need to, we need to find that balance um, yeah. between everybody. Yeah. And that can be hard to do, but it's, it's really important. It involves, it goes back to that compromise, doesn't it? Like it's yeah. not, there's whenever we're, doing any sort of dog training, not just reactivity, but there's always more than one party at the table. And yep. a healthy relationship accounts for everybody involved, not just mm-hmm. one of the just not just one of the parties. Absolutely. If you, okay, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up soon, but I want to ask you a question. And it's very broad and I'm gonna put you a little bit on the spot, but okay. All right. <laughs> um if somebody's living with a reactive dog, um, just uh, what are the, what, if it, one or a couple of things that you might suggest that would help them out? In like what, help them out in what sort of scenario, situation? Well, we go back to, good question, thank you. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you put me back on the spot. <laughs> I, ask, I ask a broad question, I get them, I, I ask, get yeah, asked. exactly. That's great. The um, <laughs> so and, and typically, you know, people living with reactive dogs, they're normally under a lot of pressure. Yes. A couple of things that you might find just to take pressure off and uh, yeah, to alleviate the situation. Oh, uh, for me, I, I you know I draw from a lot of personal experiences because I think that us reactive dog guardians can really relate to each other quite a bit. Um, asking for help. Um, it took, I, I'm a professional dog trainer. Um, and so for me to reach out and ask for help was, uh, it was a huge pride thing for me for sure. Um, but asking for help because, you know, it's not just about logically looking at, okay, this is the behavior I have. This is the behavior I want. There's all those emotions to pull through. And, and obviously we love our dogs. And when we have that, that emotion, emotional connection with this dog, it can be really difficult for us to to look at this from a logical standpoint. So asking for help um, when you first notice a problem, you know, don't wait until it's blown out of proportion and then go, gee, I really should do something about this. Ask for help and don't be, don't be embarrassed or, or feel you know, like you're a failure because you need help. Because I, like I said, I am a professional dog trainer. I was a professional dog trainer when my own dog started to show reactivity. And I reached out for help from a colleague because I said, you know, look, I know what I need to do, but this is my dog. And I just cannot, I just cannot pull myself out and look at this from a dog trainer's perspective right now. Um, So asking for help, I think giving yourself permission to, I think that we have the, we go back to sort of societal pressure and, you know, my dog needs to go on leash walks or else I'm a bad dog guardian. I think giving ourselves permission to not put ourselves and our dogs in these positions where this behavior is happening. And a lot of my clients go, well, I have to walk my dog on a leash in the neighborhood. That's what I'm supposed to do. He won't be happy without it. And I think giving ourselves permission to go, you know, if walks are causing me and my dog all of this grief and stress and frustration and, you know, tears and, and whatnot, it's okay to not do them yeah. for the time being. It's okay to, to put that leash away and to maybe play fetch in the backyard, or maybe we do something different for the time being. The, the dog is going to survive that. We are going to survive that. And sometimes just getting permission to say, I don't need to do this, or I don't need to take my dog to the dog park to be a quote unquote good dog owner can take a lot of that pressure off. Um, and then 
realizing I find that, you know, like we talk about mom guilt a lot, but I think we can apply that to our dogs. You know, we get this dog guardian guilt that I did this or I'm responsible for this, or I've somehow failed my dog. And that's why we're here. Um, and I think it's really important that we give ourselves a lot of, uh, we need to give ourselves a lot of grace and that can be really difficult to do because, um, you know, it, I always, I always tell my clients, you know, especially the ones where we go, well, I have no idea why the reactivity started. Nothing negative happened. There's really no cause for this behavior that I can determine. I always, you know, we, we look at this and we go, okay, great. Here's where we are right now. Here's where we are. Everything that's in the past has happened. It's done. We cannot go back and modify it. We can ask ourselves why, what if, could I have done something differently all day long? But the fact of the matter is we can't go back and we can't change that. This is where we are now. This is where we want to be. How do we get there? And let's stop focusing on, I should have done this differently. If only I had done this, if only I had said no in this situation, you know, we can't change that. So we're here now. Let's focus on where we are now and where we want to get to. Um, and I think that that can take a lot of pressure off of ourselves um, so that we're not beating ourselves up for what did I do wrong? Um, because a lot of the times we did nothing wrong. Um, yeah. and, and here we are anyways, you know, and, and sometimes it's the luck of the draw. Sometimes we've got some genetic, you know, really giving us a run for our money, <laughs> who knows, but we're here now and, and let's focus on where we want to get to and how do we do that? Um, so that's a, those are some of the things that jumped to my mind, um, that I would offer to reactive dog guardians. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, absolutely perfect yeah i mean just to add one you know kind of acknowledge how you feel about it and then give yourself permission to actually feel that way like yes sometimes it's it can annoy the shit out of you and yes. like i know that sometimes if otis has a reaction even as a dog trainer even as somebody that actively has put things in place to make sure that I don't become reactive to my dog's reactivity. Yeah. I do. There are times yeah. when I will go, oh, this, and it will drive me insane. And yeah. as long as like, I acknowledge that that's not part of my training plan, I'm yeah. only human and mm -hmm. I'm going to do whatever I can to learn from that to a afford them the opportunity to not be put in that position again so that yeah. I'm not position, put in that position again. Be, be kind to myself. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, uh, it's, it's really hard. You mentioned it a second ago. Like, it's easy to be kind to dogs. I'm borrowing this from yes. Anna. Like, it's easy to be kind to dogs. It's harder to be kind to other people, and it's really hard to be kind to yourself. But It is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I like to look at, you know, if I, you know, I, I mentioned that my dog's 12 now and I always refer to him as a recovering reactive dog because when I say he's reactive, people go, no, you're like, you're yanking my chain. There's no way. Um, but occasionally we have a situation where, you know, a, a, something happens and we get a little reaction. And I, I always like to look at these reactions because we're never going to get rid of them completely. That would be, it would just be like saying, I'm never going to experience road rage ever again in my life. It's not realistic. Um, but looking at these reactions, you know, after we've given ourselves times to calm down and like decompress after the incident and looking at it as a learning opportunity. So, okay. What went, what happened here? What went wrong? What did, what could I have done differently? What could I have done better? What did I do really good in that situation that I'm proud of? And, and don't look at that reaction as, oh, I failed. We failed. You know, we, we had a failure in our training, but looking at it and going, okay, what can I take from this? And like you mentioned, what can I learn from this to prevent this from happening again in the future, to adjust how this plays out if I'm in this position in the future. Um, and that can be really difficult to do, but I think it's really important that we try and look at it from a inf information gathering standpoint. Okay, what can I learn from this? Um, what is my dog telling me about this particular situation or this particular trigger? And how do I, how do I adjust my training or add that into my training moving forward? Um, and I think, you know, we focus a lot on helping our dogs recover from reactions, but um, we need to recover from reactions too. And we need to deal with our stress too, because 
when our dogs react, I guarantee you, you're feeling some degree of stress, whether that's, you know, from frustration or, you know, whatnot. Um, we need to give ourselves a chance to recover from that too, or else we are going to be uh, not as helpful or as sort of level-headed moving forward if we don't address our emotions and our stress as well as the dogs. Yeah, absolutely. We're not at our best self if we don't do that. You absolutely. You said something a second ago as well. I, I really, I really think it's an important point. You mentioned that you know your dog is a recovering reactive dog, and you don't see that many reactions anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And this is this is every case is going to be different. Every dog is going to be different, but the that's a combination of learning your dog's preferences, management, and training. Absolutely, it, it's not. I, I'm assuming, right? But tell me if I'm wrong. You are not putting your dog in the same situations that they were reacting to. No, and absolutely not. Because I know, even as a human, I, myself, I'm assuming I'm human. The um, <laughs> the uh, there's scenarios. I think sometimes people think management's cheating, but like I don't put myself in the situations I used to where I used to react badly. I learn and. Yeah. If I find myself in a similar situation and I react, I try to learn again. If I find myself in a situation um, that was similar to what I used to react to and I pulled out of it and did something that I would, you know, a more preferable response, like don't shout at the person that cut you up. I actually do still feel a moment of pride. I actually, even internally, I will acknowledge ah, I did well there. Yes, but that that in itself, not road rage. I never, I never react well. But like, <laughs> <laughs> but in those moments, if I if I got home and I, you know, maybe I said to Emma, you know, ah, oh, there was there was some guy in the bar tonight, and so I just left. Right, mm-hmm. I, I know what younger me would have done, and it would not yep. be. And yep, I. But that's me kind of bragging to Emma. Mm-hmm. Look how well I'm doing now, which yes. that tells us that it tells us a couple of things. One, I'm really proud that I'm not doing that stupid shit anymore. But two, mm-hmm. it's actually still at the back of my mind. You might still react that way. Don't let him pressure you. Yes. And that's, yeah. that is- so manage that situation to prevent yourself from going down a you know, a previous path. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, management is not something, I mean, it, this could be applied to all dogs. There's some situations we're going to have to manage to some extent that might change how that looks for, for forever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if your dog said likes to eat the garbage, we're going to have to manage that. Like we can do, you know, we can have our training and we can do these things, but there is going to be a degree of management. And absolutely my dog is managed. Um, do we go to places where off leash dogs are going to be present? We don't, we, we actively avoid those places and we'll continue to actively avoid those places. If I have room on a sidewalk to, you know, to, you know, step off of the sidewalk to pass another dog, will I do it? Absolutely. Can I pass on the sidewalk now? I can. Does my dog want to? Probably not. So what, what harm is it? What, what disadvantage is it to me to take three steps off to the side to give him a little bit more comfort in that situation? Um, we, we manage all the time and I don't even think I can, I view it as management anymore because it's just what we do because it's what helps us both be successful. And I, I think that I owe it to him to, to make some adjustments to what I want or what I thought I wanted to help us both enjoy our walks now. And, and, and it's, it's just so second nature. We just do it. We just do it. But yes, it's, it's, it's absolutely management is happening all the time, whether I think I'm think about it or not, it, it is happening. Yes. What you've done there is you've made a decision uh, as to what you'd prefer. I would prefer my dog not to react to dog towards other dogs. Mm-hmm more than I want my dog to be social. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and that works for us. And I, I think like you mentioned the compromise, so maybe I wanted, maybe I would like to take my dog off leash hiking with us, um, you know, back when he was physically capable of off leash hiking, but we've, we've 
we've adjusted that we've adjusted okay this is not what you want this is what i want how do we how do we kind of meet in the middle here and we've done that and no one has suffered as a result of that compromise i still get to do the things i want to do he gets the adjustments he needs um and we both live very full happy lives his needs are met my needs are met and and just like the same with emma and 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 the on leash walking, we found a way to make that work so that everyone's needs are being met. Um, and that, that does not look the same for every single person or every single dog, but I can tell you that I, I, I can go to sleep and sleep well, knowing that I, it's not just about me. It's not just about him. We are both thriving from those, that compromise. Um, and I think that's really important too, is what do I want? What do you want? And how do we both kind of get those things and what does that look like that's an absolutely beautiful way to look at it i love that thank you (laughs) and that's a really good time as well like that's uh we've hit a perfect time i think it's a perfect time to kind of wrap up today thank you so much um before you go tell us uh where can we find you if anybody was to look you up where can they where can they find you yeah, so Instagram is probably the best place to find me. Uh, my handle is at sitpretty.training. Um, I have a website as well, which is www.sit-pretty.ca. Um, those are the best places to find me. I'm always happy to meet people, chat with people, talk reactivity, talk dog training on either of those platforms. Um, so I encourage you if you have questions or just want to your, my story resonates with you or you want someone to talk to you about reactivity, um, don't hesitate to send a message or connect with me on either of those. And you actually, I mean, for everybody listening, you do work online as well. So you can actually, everybody can access your work wherever they are in the world, right? Yep, yep absolutely. Um, yeah, I think I, I work with clients all across North America, some in Europe. And um, I, I think that the online training platform has offers us a lot of opportunities with, with our reactive dogs, with all of our dogs. So yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. That's it for this week, guys. If you ever want to ask questions, give feedback, or just provide some suggestions regarding the podcast, find me on Ian Shivers Dog Advocate on Instagram. I'll be happy to help. If you're feeling really generous, leave us a review on whatever platform it is that you're listening to this podcast on. And if you want to nerd out more with us, then find our sponsors because they're the ones that make all of this possible. See you next week. This episode is sponsored by Canine Caregivers. I've had so many people reach out to me over the years, not knowing where to turn to online for reliable and consistent advice on how to raise a healthy and happy dog. The information out there is hard to navigate. It's hard to know who to trust and who not to trust. And frankly, some of it is just downright dangerous. That's why we created Canine Caregivers, a place where you can come and get educational resources and access a supportive community founded on the care approach for people just like you, whether you've just brought a dog into your life or you've got a dog that is experiencing some unwanted behaviors. The content is updated regularly and we constantly keep in touch with our members to make sure that we are bringing relevant and up-to-date content that truly matters to you. There's different tiers of membership for different needs. So you can be sure that you don't have to break the bank to access the information that can literally make all the difference to the quality of life between you and your dog. Head to caninecaregivers.com.au to learn more.